We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show number 78. You got your boy Scott Reinen. Andrew is gone. Andrew is usually doing the introduction, but he is not here. So it's me and my buddy Neil Keefe, who is uh, who came on this week to sub in for Andrew while he's gallivanting around Europe. And I think he's uh, he's on a family vacation. Uh, I believe he's in Italy. We have, I haven't heard from him in a little bit, so I, I hope he's still 
he's still uh, moseying around Europe, but um, we, he should be back in the middle of the week. But Neil, thanks for coming on, man. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for having me. Uh, it, it's uh, it's an honor to fill in for Andrew on this. Oh, it's so that's that's a big honor for Andrew. Andrew, I'm sure will appreciate that. So. Neil has a Yankees podcast as well. We'll give you a little plug for this and, and make sure uh, everybody knows kind of who you are and if they're not familiar with, with what you do as well. But uh, you're, you're on Twitter, you're at Neil Keefe, right? Yep. And uh, your podcast is the is Keefe to the, Keefe to the City. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and, and what you got going on over there? Yeah, so it's Keefe to the City podcast, uh, KeepToTheCity.com, uh, you know, very Yankees heavy. Uh, but on New York sports, but obviously very Yankees heavy for the season that's going on. And uh, yeah, so anyone who, who reads Bronx Pinstripes, head on over there too. Right on. So, Neil, we usually do a, a, a kind of a, we, we attribute a, an episode to either a number. We've been getting higher in the numbers. So show 78, <laughs> I, you know, I don't know of somebody who wears number 78. And I didn't do as much research to find out if, who wore it in spring training. So today's episode, we're going to dedicate it to the 1978 Yankees. And the 1978 Yankees, for, for those of you who don't know, repeated as world champions by beating the Dodgers in six games. This is the same year that Lou Pinella led the team uh, with a batting average of 314. And a crazy stat about this team is that Billy Martin actually got fired in the middle of the season. And there were three managers, not two, three managers that were, that, that, that were uh, actually managed the team for the whole year, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah, 1978 was um, a great season because, you know, I go back and I, I read the Bronx Zoo. I read a lot of um, books and, and love to follow up on the history of the Yankees. So obviously 1978 coming back from the 14-game deficit over the Red Sox, winning the one-game playoff on the Bucky Dent home run, uh, the game Rod Gidry started in Boston en route to their second straight World Series. Uh, 78, a great year, a lot of great players on that team. We saw a lot of them um, on Sunday at Old Timers Day at the stadium. And it's funny, Dick Hauser, we looked this up to see because we saw the three, actually. We, we, you and I both thought it was two. Um, Bob Lemon took over for Billy Martin. But Dick Hauser, who was the third base coach, actually took over for a game. So on record, there were actually three managers for the game itself. Um, but, yeah, one of, my, one of my guys, like, I never actually saw him play. But, you know, I think my two guys growing up were, were uh, Willie Randolph and Don Mattingly. Those were, like, my two guys. Willie Randolph was, was a guy that I would always look back and, like, just – I don't know. I would watch tape or you know watch whatever I could on him. But I was I was a second baseman growing up, and obviously he was a second baseman. He was kind of like the guy that I would look to. Um, but you know, obviously before my time. So um, that was a tremendous year. And then obviously following, you know, the Bronx is burning in '77. It's a uh, you know Andrew and I talked earlier in the season on how you know different Yankee fans. Like there's I think there's levels of Yankee fans. Like I grew up in. I was born in 80, grew up as probably, you know, in the 90s with the with the 90s Yankees, but then you have your generation before who had the who had the 60s and 70s Yankees and now you got the guys uh, you know after the 2009 World Series. It's it's funny how it gets chopped up as Yankee fans. You know what I mean? Like who you associate yourself with and what your childhood was. Yeah, I was a Mattingly guy when I was really little. Um, he retired, uh, obviously, after the 95 season. Then Jeter was a rookie the next year. So um, then I became a Jeter guy. That, that transition went seamlessly. And now I've sort of been lost the last two years because um, there's really no one on this team to, <laughs> to really get behind. There's no face of this team anymore. I guess you could say it's A-Rod. Uh, it's easy to root for a guy like Batantis, who's from the uh, New York City, a Bronx uh, high school native. Uh, and now he's he's a homegrown guy, and and really outside of those two, I mean, I don't really you know feel passionate about anyone else the way I did 
for Jeter where I'd always, you know, check on his box score, look at his stats first, um, sort of know everything he did by heart. Uh, Cano could have been that guy. Obviously, that's oh. not the case. So, um, yeah, they, they sort of don't have that guy right now. I don't know who that next guy will be, uh, but it, it, they don't have him right now, and, and it doesn't look like he's coming anytime soon. Well, he may or may not be on this team, most likely not on this team, but, you know, I think uh, that, that year when Mattingly was, was done, um, going at 95 into 96, 95 was a tough year for me just because Mattingly was my guy, right? It was, it, that was the year that he was supposed to, he was supposed to, to take the next step, and, you know, 96, the 96 championship, we're in the 20th anniversary of that, is, is bittersweet for me because, you know, it was the first year, obviously, that, that I had seen a championship, but it was also the first year without Mattingly and that he did not get it. And, you know, bringing Tino over was, was uh, took, some, took some getting used to for sure. But, you know, that was a, that was a tough sell for me. That, was, that one and, uh, and, and obviously 2001 were, were definitely two of my, my toughest seasons as Yankee fans. Yeah, those those were obviously the worst. Oh uh, one uh, was pretty bad. Oh uh, three was it was just as bad because of the way they blew that being up two games to one. Oh one, I mean, it's bad enough that Rivera was on the mound and you blow the game yeah. with the greatest closer ever and have a one run lead. But in that series, if you look at the stats, they were outplayed, out hit, out pitched so badly that if you know they don't get those two miracle home runs in in, uh, in games four and five from Martinez and Brocious, um, they could have easily been out of that series in five games and they were lucky enough to get it to game seven so I don't have that you know it's it's tough to swallow but looking back because they were dominated so badly Arizona was just the better team in 03 I mean they were up two games to one they had that series Joe Torre left uh, Mariano in the bullpen and brought Jeff Weaver instead. They win game four. They win the next two. Um, and that series is over. And then to me, 04 was the worst because I was living in Boston at the time uh, in college, was at the ALCS at Fenway uh, game five when they won in 14 innings. So that will always be the hardest, I think, for me personally to take because I was there and watched it unfold and I had to sit there and live in Boston while everyone celebrated around me. Uh, so to me, I think 04, even though it wasn't the World Series, uh, it certainly felt like it. No doubt, 04 was a dagger, just because we, there was we gave hope where there shouldn't have been hope. Like these 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 guys have not had hope for for so long, and then obvi- yep. and then finally they they got some hope. And we you know it's like you, you have your foot on the throat for so long, you don't ever want to get it up. And then when it did, obviously we know what happened. Um, but yeah, I think it, in, in 01, you're right. It was a, it was a series that we we probably shouldn't have even been in the first place. But when you when the opportunity becomes there and it becomes available, then you're you know you got to take it right. Like that's you you feel like you're there and you should win the game at that point. And obviously everything that was going on in the country and in the city, there was just so many other there were so many other uh, subplots that were happening with that series that uh, that it was it was it was crazy. But yeah, I, I could. I, I couldn't even imagine being in Boston in 04 as a Yankee fan. I mean, I would have, I probably would have been in jail. <laughs> well, before you get into this, I just wanted to say, because you were bringing up, uh, you know, how you usually talk about the episode number of the Yankee, and there's this website, I don't know if you guys use it, yankeenumbers.com, and it has everyone who's ever been on the Yankees and what number they wore, and there's actually never been a 78, so you couldn't have even given it to someone if you wanted to. See that? Maybe I knew that. Maybe I knew that, and I just didn't admit it. Usually... You have- <laughs> you have a while to go because Luis Sessa at 85 is the next number that's coming up here. And there's not many left. Uh, you got 80, 85, 87, 88, uh, 91, 99, and that's it. So you're, you only got a few left to, to pay tribute to. So usually uh, Andrew and I are, are, are – usually Andrew actually asks 
his you know Twitter followers to to help us out with these numbers. And we have a guy. I'm gonna give him a shout out again because he's been extremely helpful. And I'm I'm a lazy bastard on Twitter, and that's why I didn't do it this past week. But uh, a guy, a burnt out attorney, has been giving us like ridiculous stats for the past week. So it's it's purely uh, based on my laziness and and just non. I'm usually on Bronx pinstripes, you know, tweeting and not on my own personal account. And I and I didn't get around to that. So this was the fact that you're telling me there was no number makes me happy this is good stuff but <laughs> yeah. um let's let's get into some yankee topics i mean there's obviously been a lot of stuff that's happening this year and or this year this week you know off the field this is something that's kind of close to my heart and I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to hear what your thoughts are and i know definitely people who are listening have probably different just different you know thoughts on on these uh on this tandem but uh susan walden and john sterling got inducted into the new york broadcasters hall of fame and I think, personally, like, I grew up with John Sterling on the radio. I was a kid that grew up in North Jersey. I didn't have cable. Um, you know, the games w were on WPAX when I would watch them, and it was, like, Scooter and Tom Seaver. Um, but I would listen to John Sterling and Michael Kay on, on 770. That was that was kind of my jam. And, uh, you know, I appreciate these guys. I, I like the, 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 the kind of... The, the, the way that these guys talk to each other. So I'm, I'm curious if, you, if you're on board with Waldman and Sterling. I am very much on board. I'm probably the president of the Sterling and, okay. and Waldman fan club. And every year at some point, um, I haven't done it this season, I'll do like a, a, a retro recap sort of live blog where I listen to their entire broadcast and write down my thoughts on it. And I've done it once every season for about the last, uh, I don't know, four or five seasons. Uh, but... They're a pleasure to listen to. I know you're not getting the most professional broadcaster play-by-play -play call from Sterling that you would uh, with other younger guys or guys because he's so into the entertainment value and so worried about his trademark calls. And, uh, you know, he, he's just different. And I like that. And I think, um, you know, people that complain about it, it, it sort of is, is sort of the element you get with him. And there's people who talk about how, re you know, replay review, is it ruins baseball because of the human element. And that's sort of like, with Sterling, you get this sort of human element where with him where, you know, you're listening in the car and it's high, it's far, it's gone. And then, you know, it's Cut foul. The wall. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that happens once a game, at least once a game. Yeah. Uh, you know, Susan's always interrupting him to give her out of town scoreboard in, in the year 2016 where anyone, you know, could just find the scores on their phone or something. Uh, so it, it's, it's an awesome listen. I, I always have fun listening to it. I always uh, like to hear the beginning of the game where, you know, she says, you know, stepping into the batter's box is so-and-so and stepping up to the microphone is the voice of the New York Yankees. Right. Here is John Sterling. So, um, you know, I'll miss them when they no longer do it. And I think a lot of people will. Um, a lot of people who complain about them, uh, I, I think, will miss them as well. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I love them. I love listening to them. And I know that. I might be in the minority at this point because I know there's a lot of people out there who don't like listening to them. Well, I also think it's a generational thing. I think like a lot of the younger fans, maybe they don't appreciate it as much because they're, they're I mean, how many younger fans actually listen to the game on the radio? I mean, I don't know. I, maybe I'm out of touch with that, you know, like what that demographic is at this point. But I mean, I grew up with listening to the games on the radio. I mean, I'll never forget one of my favorite games was, was listening to uh, the Jim Abbott no hitter. Like I, I, I was, that was I specifically remember everything about that game and listening to it on my like little alarm clock next to my bed. Um, that was just it's just one of those things, you know. That I, I don't know. To me, the radio calls for baseball is like the wholesome. There's like the Americana. It has a lot to do with all of that that wrapped up. And like, people hate that sometimes, right? They hate the the old, the the rules of baseball and all these things. But I don't know. Call me old school. Call me a, a baseball purist. But I love that stuff. 
Yeah, I'm very old school too, even though you know I'm not old. <laughs> and uh, and I, I love the the radio broadcast. I love the job they do. It's fun. It's entertaining. That's what it should be. It, and you know they're the biggest homers. They're sort of like you know the way we would talk about the Yankees comes out in their voice when they're in a five game losing streak, or you know someone bunts it, you know is trying to sacrifice bunt and bunts it, pops it up in the air, and you can hear their sort of frustration come out on the air and i think that's fun to listen to because they speak more as the fans rather than just uh you know a, a very professional black and white broadcast and i never understood why people get mad about um you know broadcast for a for a team being homers because that's what they're supposed to be they're not yeah. national broadcasters they're the voice of the yankees they're supposed to favor the yankees in the way they talk i like that i like when the emotions get involved and it's, it gets crazy like the emo they just get extremely emotional when something good happens i think it's hilarious oh yeah I think, definitely. I think it plays to it and i think people appreciate that all right cool so i think we're on the same page with that one i'm glad i'm glad you're on the same page uh, we would have had a, a, a much different conversation I think, <laughs> I think if you weren't um so another thing that happened this week obviously was the uh, the the draft i mean you know the draft the you know espn major league baseball they're all trying to make it like you know like it's the nfl or the nba like it's a like it's a big to do they're, they're putting all this broadcast stuff behind it obviously if you if you know baseball and you know what happens with younger players it takes a lot longer for baseball prospects draftees especially to come through the ranks and actually show their faces on on the major league level, you know you'll see an occasional guy who will who will sail through. Usually a pitcher will will uh, you know cruise through a little bit faster, but you know usually these are the guys that we're going to see in two to three years. Um, but but we're going to just touch on these. Uh, the the first the first round draft pick was Blake Rutherford from uh, Chaminade High School. It was the 18th round overall pick. Outfielder looked like a center fielder. Um, good hitter. Good speed. And you know he's he's got a plus bat. So what are, what are your thoughts on that? And, and the Yankees actually just going position player. The draft is very frustrating because the Yankees are horrible at drafting. Uh, you know they the, the last great first round pick they had is is really Derek Jeter. They've been horrible at this for years now. Um, you know Cito Culver. It, it, you know he's a failure. Uh, Slade Heathcott banged up all the time. He's a failure. And the, the line just goes on and on. And every year at the draft time you start reading all these stories because uh, you know writers want to write about things that are, are relevant and topical, and when it's the draft, they write about how bad the Yankees have been at drafting. And it's really weird because I watched the first rounder, like while the Yankees were on, I'd flip back to MLB Network and see it. And you know the guys at MLB Network are so full of themselves because none of them have watched these kids play. There's just a bunch of B-roll they collected, and then they you know watch it, uh, five highlights of a kid, and then, yeah. then they compare him to a major leaguer, uh, which is absurd. You know, I heard them comparing Blake Rutherford to Alex Gordon. And, you know, maybe this kid is, but he's also 19. He's in high school. Uh, he, he, how are you going to tell me that the Yankees just drafted Alex Gordon? Because they have a comparison for every kid of the draft, whether he's the first pick or the 200th pick. Um, it's hard to get behind these kids, especially with the notion that they're not going to be in, in the majors, even if they make it for four or five years. So it's really hard to get it excited about. It. It's not like you know, the NHL draft or the NBA draft or the, uh, or the uh, NHL, NBA or NFL, where the guys are, you know, instantly uh, in the league the next year if they have, um, especially NFL and NBA, but NHL, you know, if you're a first round pick, you're going to be in the show within at least a year or two if you're, you know, probably worth anything. But it's hard to really get behind these guys. And uh, I don't know, I just have a hard time believing in the Yankees at, in the draft because they've been so bad at it for so long that it's obvious they have no idea what they're doing. Um, the best pick they've made in probably the last 10 years is Garrett Cole, and they failed to sign him, right. and they drafted him, even though they knew 
they were told he wasn't going to sign anyway, and he went to UCLA, and then he ends up becoming the number one pick. So I have a hard time just bu- buying into it and believing it. You know, maybe this kid, Blake Rutherford, will become something, but uh, chances are he's not going to be because most of the players in the MLB draft never make it anyway. Yeah, and that's the you know they look back at this time. You're right because nobody sees college baseball players play baseball. It it just doesn't happen. I think you know ESPN will show like the College World Series like the last few weeks of it, and we'll see something, and we'll all forget their names. Nobody will remember anybody's name until they get to the show at some point in their career if they make it there, and then we'll look back and be like, oh yeah, he was a really good. He had a really good series in in oh you know or in you know 15 or whatever. It just doesn't happen. So. I heard I heard Jim Edmonds was a was a uh, you know one of the guys that they compared Rutherford to. So who knows? That's exactly why you're know, not going to spend a lot of time on this. The Yankees took another second baseman um, in the 62nd pick. Apparently this kid has good speed, good hitter. We'll see. I mean we're pretty loaded up the middle right now in the minor leagues. Hopefully a lot of these guys work out ahead of him. We don't ever see this kid's name and he gets traded for a pitcher that we all that turns into something good. That's what I can hope for. And then there were. 38 players, I think, taken in the 2016 draft. So, I mean, we'll see. There could be some diamonds in the rough. We could see some kids that could come out of nowhere that are late-round picks that are, are uh, you know, exceed their expectations. But, you, seriously, we will not know for years to come because that's the way baseball rolls. Um, yeah, and I was going back and looking at old stories because uh, you hear, like, Damon Oppenheimer uh, talk about Blake Rutherford and how, you know, he they had him projected to go even higher and they couldn't believe that he fell to the Yankees. And now... All of a sudden, I'm thinking, well, there's a reason this kid probably fell. Um, and then other people are talking about, well, he's old for high school. He's 19, and he should have better numbers than he does for his age, um, which then makes you wonder about things. And then uh, the idea that I went back and looked at Damon Oppenheimer in the past when he does these conference calls after the first round with the beat writers and talks about the player the Yankees have drafted and the way he has hyped up kids in the past and you just read about him and then you see what they have become or haven't become. You've never heard of half of them. Yeah, and it's hard to you know buy into them. Um, like uh, Here's what he said about Cito Culver in 2010. Uh, you know, he has a plus arm, is a solid runner, an excellent hitter. He's a player we're happy to have. It was an easy decision for us. Um, and then the kid, he's in double A, he's 23, and he's hitting like 222 this year. So uh, he's been in the system since 2010. It's it's really just funny to go back and read about this. And I, I'll have something that I keep to the city.com about this. But um, it's hard to really get behind draft picks. And, and it's hard. there's so many of them, like you just said, how many they drafted. And, you know, maybe one. You know, if you're lucky, two might ever make it to the Yankees. Uh, and even if they make it to the majors, chances are they won't make it with the Yankees because they'll end up using them in a trade or something down the line. And I think more people are actually looking at this a little bit more closely now just because there's, there's, there's you know, the semblance of a youth movement in the, in the Bronx and going towards 2017, 2018 of, of the names that we all know about, the Sanchez, the Judge, the Ref Signer's up right now, uh, Bird will be back. You know, we, we see these guys that are coming up, the Mateos, that, that have the potential of, of, you know, striking big in the Bronx. But again, we, we're not going to know until these guys are here. It's such a difference from level to level. And, you know, kind of drafting these guys and, and trying to base any kind of a grade on, on what we know now really is, I mean, who knows what happens later? Who knows what their mindset is? Who knows what happens in their family life that changes things? There's just, there's just such a big amount of time. It's like talking about Bryce Harper becoming a Yankee and five years like I can't talk about that with any any like certainty or any kind of uh, of real optimism because there's so many damn things that can happen 
Yeah, and I think people have become more involved with the draft and have followed it more, especially the first round, because baseball has just changed the way they operate, and the Yankees have finally changed the way they operate, even though they're sort of behind the times, and that you know free agency isn't the way to go anymore. You look at the free agent class that's coming up this year, and it's absolutely horrible. Strasburg was the only real guy. He already got a deal, and maybe the best position player, if Cespedes doesn't opt out, is probably Josh Reddick, uh, which is remarkable, and he'll probably get you know a four-year deal for huge money, and right. any other year he wouldn't get anything, but um, I think that's because you know teams are signing their players young. They're signing to long-term deals before they can ever come to free agency. And I think that's why people are paying more attention to the draft and why it's becoming a bigger deal because the Yankees can't just go and get people from free agency and buy them from small market teams. They're just never getting the chance to hit it in the first place. All right, so speaking of the draft, here's my, here's my version of uh, a professional transition. Rob Refsteiner is now our first baseman. <laughs> the first base has become a... A, a, a sinkhole. I, I don't know what to call it. Teixeira is 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 hurt. He's he's trying to rehab and come back from an injury that personally I think he should you know just go out for the season. Chris Parmley uh, during this week has a gruesome injury on his hamstring out on the 15 DL. Most likely m- much longer than that. Um, today the Yankees today we're recording this on Sunday. The Yankees have signed Chris uh, Ike Davis. I say Chris Davis. Ike Davis, former Met Ike Davis, former Met great Ike Davis. Um, to a to a deal, you know the details of that at this point when we're recording are not totally out there, but it looks like they've uh, agreed to a, a deal. And Ref Snyder, not a first baseman, you know the entire time they've they've you know I have given the Yankees brass complete grief because you know I thought last year in May he should have been the starting second baseman. They've they've just completely shit on his defense the entire time. So now they're going to move him to another position, first base no less, which is just. It's just hilarious to me. I think he could do it. I just think it's funny that they've like decided that he's going to be the first baseman. And that he's their everyday first baseman now. According to Girardi, he's their everyday first baseman, and that's where we are. So, you know, what are your thoughts on first base? I, I, I know that within the past week, really, we've had complete, complete, you know, transition and, and just a lot of different players coming in there. Well, Mark Teixeira, I'm not upset that he's injured. I mean, I guess you don't want to say someone's injured, but I'm not upset he's not in the lineup because he's horrible. He is nothing that he was last year. He hasn't been good outside of last year before he broke his leg in years now. Um, It's just time to go. We're counting down the days till he's gone. He's got you know, the, the rest of this season, and then hopefully he's never a Yankee again, even though I'm worried that because Greg Bird's coming back off an injury. No, that's that, not happening. That's not happening. But for Rob Refschneider to get a job on this team. The guy raked in in the minors last year. He was not given the role over Steven Drew or Brendan Ryan. And then at the end of the season, in the most critical games of late in September, he became the starting second baseman. He started in the one-game playoff, the Yankees' first playoff game since the 2012 ALCS. Um, And then this year, they screw him over again. Uh, They have him at second. They sign Castro. Then they can't move him to third because they've got a bad deal in Chase Headley there. So he starts playing the outfield. He ends up playing first base because to share an Ackley get hurt. Then he becomes a first baseman. Then they start splitting time with Chris Parmley. Parmley gets hurt. Girardi says that Ref Snyder is the first baseman. And now they sign Ike Davis, who's just absolute garbage, to a major league deal, which is mind-blowing that he's just getting a major league deal and not even a minor league deal with a chance to work himself onto this team. But they just screwed Ref Snyder over in every sense. Um, this kid, just give the kid a chance. He's raked in the minors. If he can't hit in the majors, you know, if you give him actual at-bats every single day and he can't hit, okay, there's nothing to lose there. It's not like you owe him Chase Headley money, but at least let him prove himself. I mean, he's been the Yankees' best minor league hitter the last two seasons, and 
They, they have him in the outfield. They have him at second. They try him at third. Now he's at first. Uh, it's got to be hard enough, you know, hitting major league pitching and playing major league defense in one position, let alone being moved to your fourth position in a single calendar year. And the beautiful thing is I've always talked about Ref Center as being just like the, you know, the the, the athlete, the athlete that Ref Center is. And I, I refer to him as an athlete all the time because I, to me, I, I have, I've always taken the position that a lot of the guys, when they get to the major league level, I, I'd say, I don't, not all of them, but you know, 90% of them can play multiple positions. If you, if you, if you put them in the position, they can most likely play it. And because these guys are ball players, like they've played multiple positions in their career. They, they, they just know how to play baseball. And Ref Snyder is one of those guys who, to me, is a plus athlete who obviously has shown that he can play different positions. He played a good second base. All of these, all, everything that they were talking about and how he was such a bad second baseman, how they were so worried about his, why, why is there not more of an emphasis on, on the offensive side of the ball where we have been just completely dead in the water for weeks at a time? I mean, why is that not more of a priority at this point when we still got guys in all these other positions making errors? I mean, the errors are going to come. I can live with a guy playing a new position, making a couple errors. If he's hitting the ball, please put that guy in. If he's a young guy in my organization, please put that guy in. Ref Snyder has, has, has you know, told the bell over and over again, and you're right, now he's getting an opportunity, but then they sign, uh, Ike, I keep saying Chris Davis, Ike Davis, Ike Davis is not on Adderall, he has not been cleared for Adderall like Chris Davis has, so we'll see if that affects him. Well, with Rep Center, I mean, I have this hashtag, give Rob a job, or I started as give Rob the job last year instead of Stephen Drew, but they now did it. a job, it, yeah. Now it's a job, and then finally they gave him a job, but maybe they didn't really because they gave Parmalee the job sometimes, then he got hurt, now it looks like you know, the first day Ike Davis is on the team that they face a righty, he's going to be in the lineup. That's just a fact because Girardi's going to platoon this kid even though he said he's the everyday first baseman. Right. And like you said, at some point, offense has to outweigh defense. And this team, we can't, you know, be watching this team score five runs for three games and then get shut out or score one in the next eight, which is what's happening. And it's happened again. You know, they had a good stretch against the Angels who suck. And then they play the Tigers. They win 4 nothing Friday. Then they score one run on Saturday. And then they score one run on Sunday. And you just can't fall in funks like this. Uh, offense has to be, you know, more important than defense at this point. But here, Brian Cashman talk about how Rob Schneider is a below average second baseman or a below average third baseman, then what is the team, you know, what are, what is the lineup you put out there offensively? Everyone's right. below average. The whole Why team- does that always get overshadowed? I don't understand that. Yeah. And if you, and and people who say, oh, well, you know, the Yankees know more than you do. Well, do they? Because they haven't drafted well in, in you know, 20 years. Uh, they haven't developed their own players. You know, Brian Cashman's real good at signing checks and taking other people's homegrown talent, but he can't grow his own talent. If you look at this team, Brett Gardner in left field, who, you know, is maybe a fourth outfielder that's just been having a starting job the last few years. You've got Dellen Batantis in the bullpen. You look in the rotation, there's no one in the rotation that's homegrown except Severino, who got sent down because he was so bad. So you've got Gardner and Batantis on this team that are actually homegrown, and Austin Romine, the backup catcher. So who are we to believe that Brian Cashman knows what he's talking about when people say the Yankees know more than you do? Because really, I don't think they do. They gave Stephen Drew and Brendan Ryan 600 plate appearances while Ref Schneider wasted away in AAA, and then they finally called him up, and he played in the most important games of the season and the playoff game. And now here we are with Chase Headley in the second year of a $52 million deal, uh, and granted, he's been good for the last few weeks, but that doesn't you know, that doesn't negate what he did for the first month and a half, two months of the season. So uh, it, it's it's just hard to listen to Brian Cashman tell me that Rob Refschneider can't play defense when, you know, the rest of the team that he put together can't hit the ball. 
it's funny because I think when everybody realized that that Andrew was gone and it was just me and and uh, you know whether they have listened to your show or not, they didn't know. They thought this was going to be like a, a, a potatoes, fluff, clouds, happy clowns, <laughs> like like talking about like all the positives. Because I'm like the positive guy on the show. I gotta I gotta balance it out because because of you know Andrew Andrew likes to harp on on the on the on the less positive things. You know, see I'm even I can't even say negative. It's that's ridiculous. But but Neil Keefe is bringing the negativity, bringing well, no, the bringing the other side. He's got to bring. I, I hate when you know some of my friends joke around and when it comes <laughs> to the Yankees, I'll, they'll say oh negative Neil, but. I'm not negative. I'm telling you everything right? is I say is factual. Yeah. I, I say I'm a Yankee realist because I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I don't, you know, say everything's rainbows and sunshine and butterflies when it's not. And, uh, you know, when this team was 9 and 17, I wasn't, you know, sitting there saying, oh, don't worry, it'll turn around. And now that they're 31 and 32, I'm still not saying that because they're, they're a 500 team. Right now they're not even a 500 team. So I don't see a lot of positivity around a team with a $200 million payroll and a lot of bad contracts and they just keep adding bad contracts. So I don't like to say I'm negative. I say I'm a realist. That's good. Everybody needs a yang to their yang. It's perfect. So, so we bring on the yang to my yang. It's, it's, it's great. And I, I, I think, I think one of the big things for me is that I don't, I don't dwell in like the realist because I, I see what's happening. Like, don't get me wrong. I see what's going down. I think in the back of my mind that I'm just I'm looking at the season. I'm like, I know what's not going to happen. I just pray that they're going to be adding minor leaguers, players that can possibly contribute in the future at the trade deadline. I just, I just I I feel like that's my positive. You know, what I mean, like this season is here for a reason, and we're going to do this, and we're going to get better. And 2017, watch out. 2000, probably not 2017. 2018, watch out. Like that's what I'm looking forward to, and I feel like. Anyway, we could go on on this forever. Another note about the Yankees before we get into, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening uh, around the league. Um, but Chase and Shreve, you know, I don't know your feelings on Shreve, whether you think he's the first half guy of 2015, second half guy of 2015, uh, you know, dwelled, you know, pushed into 2016, who he really is. You know, will the real tre- uh, Chase and Shreve please stand up? But he's on the road to recovery, had a, um, a rehab out in Scranton, Wilkesbury, and you know he's on the on the road back to the uh, I guess back on the bus right he'll he'll be uh, he'll be in the bullpen at some point in the near future so hopefully he can help out again and regain his I don't know how you're feeling about him I, I was I always liked Shreve um, and I felt like he he just got overused last year but seeing him this year I really don't know what to think of him because I just, he just hasn't been very good yeah you know last year I was a huge Chase and Shreve fan and and people forget when around this time last year. The Yankees were without Tanaka, Ellsbury, and Andrew Miller at the same time. And while I am the biggest anti-Jacoby Ellsbury fan, he had been playing well before he got hurt. So you're going through a stretch where you're without your best starter, your best reliever, and you know arguably your best position player uh, for a stretch of the season. And Trace and Shreve became Dellen Batantis, and Dellen Batantis right. became Andrew Miller in the 8-9 role. And Shreve was unhittable i mean yeah. he was getting out left-handed hitters right-handed hitters he was unstoppable and then he hit that wall in september and it was a disaster and you know when especially in that toronto series at home when they had a chance to you know go ahead in the division uh right around the second week of september uh he really folded and that's when things got bad and then this year he started out um his first six games didn't give up a run then he gives up two then you know he sort of goes every other appearance giving up a run or not and this then he gets boom hurt. boom boom yeah it's yeah, a lot of home well, runs 
I mean, I'm rooting for the kid. I, I think he's, you know, I think he obviously has the ability. He's shown it. I don't know if it's fatigue, if that, you know, he hit a wall last year because he pitched more than he ever had before. But, um, you know, I believe in him. I like to see him come in because when you look at who they have now, I mean, Nick Goody's horrible. Anthony Swarzak, horrible. Kirby Yates, horrible. I, I don't even like watching Kirby Yates wind up because it just pisses me off. And, you know, I just watch the guy and, like, he's not going to get out. Today, Anthony Swarzak comes in. I say to my buddy, you know, we're gonna, he's going to get at least one run, maybe two, and the game's over. And then, boom, single, home run, game's over. Um, these guys are all the same every year. Preston Claiborne, Nick Goody, when they had David Huff. Um, you know, they, they get these Nick guys. Nick Rumbelow, yeah. The, the yeah, list Rumbelow. goes on and on. The list goes on and on, and, and they're just the same person every time. And for the first time in a long time, Chase and Shreve looked like he'd not be one of those guys. Um, and then he unfortunately became one of them, which sucked. But, um, yeah, you know, Goody, Barbado, Pinder, Claiborne, Cotham, Rumbelow, Chase Whitley, they're all the same. Chase and Shreve look like he wouldn't be part of that class, but maybe he will be. Maybe he'll be the left-handed version to all those guys because they're all righties. But um, hopefully he joins this team healthy and, and is the guy we saw up until September last year because he was – you know, after Batantas and Miller, he was their only reliable reliever, really. You were on the Barbado train after spring training. You, you didn't think this kid, because his first couple outings were phenomenal, too. And then all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, the real, life, real, real life happened. Yeah, I mean, he has great strikeout numbers. I think he has over a strikeout per inning. But a lot of relievers nowadays, because seemingly everyone throws in the high 90s, will have great strikeout numbers. And he just, you know, can't get the job done. And He's sort of like, you know, Sean Kelly, he had great strikeout numbers too, but it seemed like every time you turn the game on, it's it's walk, walk, double, and then the game's over. So, uh, you know, Johnny Barbado, I am not a believer in. It's really hard for me to believe in all these relievers they call up. They're, they're, none of them are good. And it's even funnier to hear that, you know, in the offseason, they tried, they had uh, Brian Cashman openly talking about how he wanted to trade Andrew Miller, which is insane. This guy was so good last year. He signed at four years, $36 million, which is like the steal of a lifetime. He uh, might be, you know, between him and Wade Davis, they're the two best relievers in all of baseball. And now people are talking about, you know, how they could trade him this year. He's, he's under team control for the next two years at $9 million each. He's the best reliever on the team. I trust him more than Batantas. He's much better than Aroldis Chapman. Uh, and if you get rid of Miller in a trade, and if they trade Chapman, if they tank the season, they trade Chapman because he's impending free agent. They trade Miller because he's controlled. And then you're left with Batantis. I mean, what are we, we're talking about trying to get better for next year or the year after. How are you going to get better when you're giving away the only pieces of your team that are worth anything? If you want to trade Chapman, go ahead. Do not trade Miller. He, he's the best left-handed reliever in baseball. Might be the best reliever, period, in baseball. And you could have him for two more seasons. I don't. I, if anything, I'm looking at extending him. I'm not looking at getting rid of him because I, I, he's that good. I just, I just can't see them doing that. But, you know, Brian Cashman... Uh, he, he's, he does business oddly. And for a guy who we just ripped about talking about Ref Schneider, here's a guy who in the winter, all we heard about was Andrew Miller in, in talks and Brian Cashman, who never, you know, he keeps everything close to the vest. When the Yankees sign a big name free agent or make a big trade, no one ever really scoops it. It just sort of comes out of nowhere. But here he was at Christmas time saying, you know, um, I'm openly listening to offers for Andrew Miller. Like, what are you doing? So I, I think we're, this, this, this is going to be the, the first uh, point of contention. So I, to me, when, when you have a team that is set up like the, the New York Yankees right now, and you have, uh, so we're calling them closed BMC, just so you know. That's like, that's the, like, to me, call, no run, D huh? What did you call them? It's closed BMC. No runs BMC doesn't oh, make good. sense. They give, up, they give up runs. It's, I hate the BMC because it's like you can't just make names up and call one guy by his first name. Exactly. The other Why, can we be consistent, please? Worst, I mean, worst nickname ever. I don't know who made it. I know it's been around a few places, and some people 
have had it going back to when they signed Chapman in December. It's, people had tweeted it. So it's a horrible nickname. You can't just decide when you're going to use a, a first name and then when you're going to last name. But just so I to like make it fit. Better. Yeah, so it's closed BMC because that's their job is they try to close the game. Obviously, they give up runs, so that one doesn't work. Closed yeah. BMC is the, is, the, is the name of the team. Anyway, uh, I digress. What I, my point is is that the fact that we have these three guys, it just doesn't fit this team. It, it doesn't make sense to have these guys right now because they're not being used the way that they would be used if we had a good team. So that, that's why I'm, I'm actually okay with them looking at Miller. And I'm, to me, like, don't get me wrong, it needs to be a king's ransom. This guy is probably the most valuable uh, reliever in, in baseball that would be available. Definitely the most valuable guy that would be available. But if you're getting a king's ransom of, of young guys to a team that's not there yet, then why are you trying to keep the back end of your bullpen to, you know, and a team that's not ready to, 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 to win? Because when you have a back end of the bullpen that's, that's very good and dominant, you need, the rest of the, the, uh, you need the rest of the puzzle pieces to work. If they don't work, you can't get to them. So that, that's why I'm okay with them trading him if it's the right deal, if you're getting the right uh, you know, type of prospect what, back. What's the right deal? Like, if, you're, if you're trading Andrew Miller, I, you know, as a Yankee fan, I need people coming back that can play Major League Baseball right now. I don't need some kid that is you know, in a, some league in Florida in single A hitting 300 who might be good someday. Oh, I because, agree with that. It's got to be a clo- it's got to be a, re- a prospect either that's in AAA ready to go or a uh, a player in the major leagues who's contributing and can slot in and play every day. Yeah, cuz we don't need more prospects that don't pan out. I mean, we have they traded Justin Wilson for Chad Green and Luis Sessa. They both pitched in the Yankees. They both got blown up. Justin Wilson, I don't know why they got rid of him. He was a fine reliever. He'd actually fit nicely in this bullpen. I'd have to see less Nick Goody and uh, and freaking Kirby Yates if he was here. So I, I don't need the Yankees. They if, like if they want to win in the next two years, they or like get back to where they were. We can't be getting guys who might someday be good, who are in single A, who were a first round draft pick. Because I'm tired of seeing. There's a reason the Twins didn't want Aaron Hicks anymore. There's a reason the Mariners didn't want Dustin Ackley anymore. I mean, that was a that, that was a deal though. We were trading John John Ryan Murphy, a guy that wasn't going to be contributing in this organization. No, no, a I guy agree. that potentially could. No, I I agree, but I'm saying with those Brian Cashman, like he he wants to like be this genius that can get people that were top picks and didn't pan out and then turn them around in the Yankees, and it just isn't working out. And, you know, Chris Parmalee, another guy, granted he got hurt, but he was a first-round pick. He wasn't working out. The Yankees got him. He's in AAA. He comes up. He did fine, and then he got hurt. But we, I, I can't be getting back guys who were first-round busts and just haven't realized their potential yet because I'm tired of taking other teams' trash. That's not how this should be going. So if the Yankees want to trade Andrew Miller, then they're going to have to get back players that are ready to go. And I don't know that a team's willing to give up non-prospects for a, a guy who would either be their eighth-inning guy or closer. I don't know if – you know, I feel like you need to be giving up starting pitching to get that back. You see, we're talking about teams in probably the National League, teams like the Giants or the Dodgers or teams like that, who have who have players that can potentially fill the, fit that bill and, and, and slide in. I mean, even you look at the Texas Rangers, I don't know what they're willing to do, but they have a ridiculous amount of position players that are ready or on the cusp and, and can contribute. So there, there's just, I think there's opportunities, but again, to me, it's got to be the right opportunity. I'm not looking for a, a, a reach guy. I'm looking for... A a top prospect in an organization because to me that's what Andrew Miller is worth and if you're looking to win the World Series and make a serious run uh, this year you know he's a guy that can make a huge difference on your team so 
I'm not saying get rid of him for, for Joe Schmo. I'm saying for the right possible deal. And I don't know what that deal is, but you know, looking at that right deal, if, if it, if it makes sense where it's a top prospect in triple a, a guy that's, that's a, you know, everybody says is a no brainer or a guy that's, that's contributing right now on the major league level. You know, I, I would consider it because I don't think he's being used to his full potential with the Yankees. I just, I just don't see that. And I don't see it happening next year either. In all honesty. Well, if he goes anywhere, it has to be the NL because I can't watch that guy just shut us down for the next. Yeah, two. I'm looking at the Giants honestly, like the the NL, or the or the Nationals. I'm looking at teams like that, um, and and you know seeing what they can uh, they can bring forward, especially the the Giants. I think that's a team to to look out for. Uh, yeah, there, I, and there's been rumors all all week about you know Chapman and Miller to the Giants and to the Cubs. And yeah. It's all smoke. I mean, there's kids that are on Twitter like just tweeting things out, and people are believing them. So. I mean, to me, I hope that it doesn't get to that point. I hope this team gets on track for a long stretch and doesn't have to be selling away all their pieces. But if they're going to sell away pieces, um, I don't know that to share anything back, even though he's a free agent. You know, maybe someone could think that they could get power or defense out of him. But I'm sure Beltran would be gone. It would be awesome. And I'm willing to drive him anywhere, buy his plane ticket if Brian McCann would be gone. Because there's a lot of teams out there that need catchers. The Yankees should have never signed him in the first place. And if someone wants to take McCann and the rest of his deal, I am more than happy to watch him leave. All right. We could talk about this for a long time. And I, I think we'll talk about, you know, before we end, we'll talk about this team in general and, and like what the, what, what the strategy is going into the break. Because I know a lot of fans have been tweeting us and sending in, in mailbags and messages about like, hey, are we selling? Are we not selling? What's the deal? Like, are we going to win this? What, what What's this team doing? Who is this team? Because I think... You know, week to week it changes. So, let's let's talk about this past week. Monday was uh, Shoemaker versus Tanaka. Tanaka, uh, we're this is the uh, the the Angels series. Obviously, we know what happened. We we're not gonna talk about every single game in, in complete detail because this this was finally a very positive series, right? We're coming back. We're winning the series, sweeping the the Angels. Tanaka pitches well, seven innings, three hits, two run runs. Um, this is the the first. This is a. I think that, this is a funny stat. Funny is I, I guess to the eye of the beholder. But three. This is the first three run home run in this game that we have hit. Uh, Beltron hit since April seventh. Talk so about funny. not scoring runs. That's crazy. I'm, I'm laughing so hard at this stat. It's so funny. Yeah. So so <laughs> uh, you know Tanaka had a, a good game. We we came out of the gate first uh, with with the Angels. Played well. Offense was was good. Seventh and eighth inning, they exploded. Positive things, right? Moving forward. Go you look ahead. at this Angels team, and, and they're horrible. So to, to beat up on them to get a series win, and not only a series win, but a sweep, um, the way they did in Oakland when they sort of paid back the A's for the sweep at the when they swept the Yankees in the Bronx, um, it was important. And it sort of saved the season, at least for the time being, because that 10-game road trip went south at the end uh, against Toronto and against Baltimore. And going into the stretch here, they played the Angels four, they played uh, the Tigers three over the weekend, and then they have 11 games, their next 11 games, against the Rockies and the Twins. And the Twins are so bad. Yep. You know, they're just horrible. That's a team that you need to beat up on. And you look at this 18-game stretch, and really going into it, I thought the Yankees had to go 12-6 and six here. Now looking at it, you know, they went uh, five and two. So now they have to go seven and four to meet their 12 and six. And they're very capable of doing that. If you look at the Rockies and Twins, I mean, if the Yankees really want to be anything this season, I think going seven and four is, is actually not not even doing well enough. It's kind of a bar low on that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I, you know, I did a podcast on Keeps the City a few weeks ago with Andrew and we talked about this team and I said, you know, he asked me what I thought they had to be at the break. And I thought they had to be 48 and 40. And then they went on that road trip. 
Um, and it started out well. And then, it, you know, in Tampa Bay, they went two out of three, but then they went to Toronto and got swept and it sort of screwed things up. So now I'm thinking 47 and 41. And, and I sort of took one win away from that. But if they go 12 and six in this stretch, which really they should do better than 12 and six now that they started out five and two, um, 47 and 41 at the break would put them in great position, uh, not only for the division, but certainly in contention for the wild card, which they're only three games back in right now. So um, I think 47-41 is very doable if they get to the 48-40 and 40 goal I wanted. It would be even better. Um, and what's more important is not only you know the timing of them playing the Rockies and the Twins, but also the timing of the division in Boston, who's you know at the top of the division with Baltimore. These two teams are both, you know, Boston and Baltimore are playing a three-game series at Fenway starting this week uh, on Tuesday, on Monday or Tuesday, the same time the Yankees go to Colorado. So if they beat up on Colorado while they're doing that, someone in Boston and Baltimore is losing. So they're keeping pace with the winner, getting games on the loser. Then Boston plays uh, Seattle. And um, I believe they also play uh, Texas or the White Sox coming up. So the White Sox haven't been great, but you know you can face Sale and Quintana in that series and anything could happen. So this is prime for the Yankees. If they don't take care of business in the next 11 games, then, yeah, they're going to be sellers. This is, this is the season right here against the Rockies and Twins. So Tuesday night was Pineda. Obviously, eyes are all on Pineda to see how, if he can come out of the first two innings. And then, and then we're just, like, all gravy from there. A good outing. Another. This is the second in a row good outing for Pineda. We'll talk about his third outing, which actually happened today as we're recording. But seven innings pitch, four hits, three earned runs. This is a guy that that obviously you know I I've been Andrew labels him as the as the car salesman guy or the uh, the promotion at a car lot you know with like the the um, where the air <laughs> the air goes up in the into the um into like the figure and it's like flopping all around you know what i'm talking about yeah because like every time something goes bad like his hands are on his his hands are just like flying all over the place so now every time i see Pineda, i just think of like this car this car lot sale uh going up with with him throwing his head but you know he's been good i i i think i don't think he really has the mental makeup of a professional baseball player in, in my opinion um i think he's he's working through this i think he has the stuff i think between the ears we have we have something that's uh that's not professional ready but you know I guess he's trying to prove me wrong in these past three games this one the second game pitching pretty well yeah it's weird because we've talked in the past we talked on our uh two-part uh you know spring training podcast but I am a big Michael Pineda fan <laughs> and there's See, not many Pineda is your Pineda is my Evaldi to your I was just yeah. gonna say you're Evaldi I'm Pineda but right. the difference is Pineda has actually been good at at times in his career where Evaldi every season he ends up with bad numbers except for his win total last uh, year I guess you didn't watch the last half of last year in the beginning it was, of the year. Okay, it well, was well, it, that's cool my oh, yeah, right Five innings and four runs, and the Yankees score eight runs for you. Isn't good. You're just lucky that you have run support. But Pineda, the last three starts, they changed his arm angle. His slider has been better. Um, he, he pitched well on Sunday. The Yankees just couldn't score again, and hopefully they're not going in one of these offensive funks as they head into the biggest 11 regular season games they've played in, like, 25 years. Uh, but <laughs> that is a, That's funny. But, you know, I he, he has the stuff. I mean, he's... He's not Evaldi where he throws and just hits our, like, you know, bullet line drive singles and, he, you know, the bases are loaded every inning. He, when he's on, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. When they got him, I thought he'd be a front-end starter. Two years ago, he was clearly, uh, you know, a number two behind Tanaka. When Tanaka came over for how good he was, you could even make a case that Pineda might have been their, their number one that year before the pine tar incident and then, then the shoulder surgery while he was suspended. Uh, I mean, not the surgery, the shoulder injury while he was suspended. But he didn't have it for most of this year. 
they told him, you know, pitch well, you're out of the rotation. And since they've done that, three starts, uh, all three of them have been good. And uh, really, this rotation has been great of late. Outside of the bad 9-17 beginning, they've been good enough that they Yankees have the best rotation in the division. They just have a horrible offense, and now they're sort of built the way the Tampa Bay Rays have been built for many years. But you look at Boston and Baltimore, they can hit the ball all day, but they both have horrible starting pitching. Uh, you know, David Price hasn't been good. He's their ace. Chris Tillman is the Orioles' ace. And after both of them, they're, they're really horrible. They just have awesome hitting. Um, so the Yankees, I mean, their rotation has done the job. It's just a matter of offense. So Michael Pineda, since they told him, you know, pitch well or you're done, he's pitched well. So um, I hope he continues to do so because I am the last person left on the Michael Pineda fan club. Well, and it's not so much that I'm off of his, off of like you know his potential because, I mean, I see what you see. I see, I see the stuff, and I see this kid as being a front end guy. You know, when when he's right. And to me, though, what he's shown every other outing or when something goes wrong is that it just gets to him too 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 much, and he can't he he just can't deal with it, and he becomes a complete bipolar mental case, and he he starts he starts you know. He, you can just see it in his face. I one of my one of my biggest pet peeves, and maybe this is why I like Evaldi, is because he's so straight faced all the time. I can't stand when you show negative emotions on your face, because to me, the other team sees that and they pounce on it. Like you're dead. You you're in the professional ranks in any sport, and you show that bad things are affecting you. You're done, dude. Like that's that's the end of your road. And Pineda does that. Every single time something goes bad, and that's to me, that's that's like one of the biggest bugaboos. That's one of the biggest things I can't stand about him. Yeah, and I think what's worse, you know, not necessarily that, but when he he gets mad at his teammates for not making plays, and you just you can't be doing that. I don't care who you are, what team you're on. But to me, Pineda, you know, I wrote I've written more words about AJ Burnett than anyone else, even though he hasn't been on the Yankees in five years. I still have written more words than anyone else um, on him, and Pineda has sort of become him in the sense yeah. that. He has the great stuff, and I used to hate when Michael Kay or anyone would say, oh, he's got the great stuff. Why can't he do it? It's like, no, he doesn't have great stuff if he's walking six guys a game and giving up five runs. Clayton Kershaw has great stuff, and Jake Arrieta has great stuff. A.J. Burnett doesn't have great stuff. He just threw hard and had a great curveball, and sometimes it worked out. And Michael Pineda has sort of become him now where I always felt like— He have the control issues, though. Exactly. And if Pineda, if he gets through the first inning, he's fine. But if he has he trouble in the first inning— and things don't go his way, it's just meltdown city. And Burnett was very much the same way where as soon as, you know, a guy gets hit by a pitch or there's two walks in a row, things just went south, and there's no coming back from it. And Girardi, you know, one of my biggest problems with him when Burnett was on the team was he couldn't see this coming. He would just let Burnett stay out there thinking, oh, he'll figure it out, he'll figure it out. Burnett, Pineda and Burnett, they don't figure it out mid-game. They either have it from the get-go or they're never going to have it. There's no adjustments. They're not, you know, David Cohn out there trying to work through an adjustment. They're just, they're just going to have a meltdown, and the game's going to be over right as soon as it goes back. But, but that, see, that's exactly my biggest problem. Like, when you're, when you're a guy with, with as big as he is, Big Mike, hashtag Big Mike, <laughs> I know you can't stand the hashtag Nasty Nate. Yeah, give me, a, give me a damn break with the Big Mike nonsense because Big Mike, if he's having a bad inning in the first inning, Big Mike should be ready to go and jump into the second inning because he is a 6'7 monster with a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. But guess what happens? I'm going to go 0-2 on you, and then I'm going to leave you uh, – a Sunday school curve uh, slider that's just hanging on the top of the zone for you to take for you to do whatever you want with, and that's his been his mo is when he's guys he's got guys in positions to to you know put them away he can't do it he doesn't have the to me the mental capacity to to put these guys away and and 
you know, I, look, I hope he proves me wrong. I really do. And over the past three, they haven't been amazing starts, but they've been a hell of a lot better. So I hope he's on the road to, uh, you know, to figuring this stuff out. But I just don't understand how you get beat as bad as you do when you're ahead in the count. Yeah, he shouldn't. And he has the stuff to not. Um, I just, yeah, he's frustrating. He's been good the last three starts. That's all I can say. Because really outside of that, he had like two um, I think his like second and fourth start of the year were pretty good too. But um, this is the guy. This is the guy we've seen the last three starts. This is who he should be every time because he has the stuff to be that good. Hopefully, this arm angle thing is for real, and this isn't just a, you know a three game stretch, and then he'll fall back to being the almost seven ERA pitcher. Hopefully, Big Mike is here to stay. <laughs> Speaking of frustrating, the guy that I have been defending now for two years, Mr. Nath- Na- Nasty Nate Nathan Avaldi, has <laughs> uh, comes back out with his second second start in a row where, where he has not looked good. I mean, we see the month of May where he looked phenomenal. He looked like a guy that you would think is, a, a you know, to me, he looked like a, a front-end starter um, and was pitching very well, whereas the last two starts, he's, he seems like he's regressed, throwing too many pitches, getting, uh, you know, his breaking ball is, is up in the zone too much, similar to what you see with, with Pineda, honestly, leaving, leaving his breaking ball up. But I think both guys do that too much, and that's where you see um, them get hammered. But again, Avaldi had a, a, a tough game. But we get to face Jared Weaver, who, as a, as a, as a Major League Baseball player, as a, as a starter on the, the Angels, throws at capacity 83 miles an hour. What happened to Jared Weaver? I didn't even know this was a real thing until I saw him uh, on Wednesday. <laughs> What's scary about Jared Weaver is that he's been throwing this slow you know, for a couple of years now. And if you I didn't make- realize it. I, I didn't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is pretty remarkable because how could anyone be getting major league hitters out when your fastball is 83 or you know whatever he's throwing now and what's even crazier is that back in 2010 granted that was six years ago but he led the league in strikeouts and his fastball's never been fast i mean you know you know 87 80 he was almost, he's almost like been like freddie garcia when he got old for his whole career because it's pretty remarkable this guy you know won 20 games once 118 another time a three-time all-star led the league in strikeout six years ago i don't know how he did it and his brother's jeff weaver yeah yeah and i i mean i am very anti-jared weaver just because he's related to jeff weaver uh (laughs) but when it comes to nathan evaldi and you said he hasn't been good now for the last two starts i just think he's just not good period and i know we had this talk all the time and people will say oh he won. He was a, he won last year. He had 16 wins. No, the offense had 16 wins because he'd go out and throw five innings, 110 pitches, and be out of the game. Um, and then he got hurt because he thought he had to throw 101 miles an hour in every fastball, and then he had a forearm strain and finished the year injured. Uh, but he's just not good. I mean, what was your it, tune? What was your tune at the end of May? Then what? What? How did you? How do you tell he me? He had a good run. How do I you mean, tell he, me he's not a good pitcher at the end of May? Players have, I mean, pitchers, they have good runs. Like, it happens. The guy's been in the league now for, you know, what is this, his sixth year? I mean, he's been on three teams. He's 26 years old. The Dodgers gave up on him. The Marlins gave up on him. The Yankees, you know, they're thinking they're going to find something here. I don't know. But, yeah, he had a few good runs. But people are shocked that he gave up five runs in both the last two games. I mean, the guy's got a 442 ERA this season. That's that's who he is. That's Nathan Evaldi. When he goes to Colorado on Tuesday, you know, if we, if we see the Nathan Evaldi we saw the last two starts, it's going to be a problem because the balls aren't just going to be line drives. They're going to be flying out of course field left and right. So in the same game, this is when we saw Chris Parmalee kind of have his uh, his coming out party. And there's there's a, 
a pretty remarkable stat, one that you would never even think of these two names being being linked. But he hit two home runs in his first start as a Yankee. The last Yankee to do that was, uh, you know, no one other but Roger Maris. So those two guys are linked in, in Yankee history forever. Um, Chris Parmley, obviously we know, we'll talk about this later, but he, he, he uh, had, that, had that terrible injury that looked terrible. I mean, he's placed on the 15-day DL at this point. We don't know what was to come, but it looked like it's obviously much longer than 15 days. Um, we got guys swinging the bat. A Rod starting to swing the bat a little bit more. Um, I, you know, I don't know where you are on A Rod. I'm, I'm a guy that that really isn't expecting too much from A Rod, but at least he's uh, looks like he's starting to swing the bat a little bit better. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, I still still think A Rod has it. I mean, he has seven home runs. He missed you know a lot of the season already because of injury. Um, now Joe Girardi you know protects him on Sunday, doesn't put him in a lineup against Michael Fulmer. I don't know if that's because. Maybe A-Rod came to him and said he was tired, he heard he didn't say anything about it in the post-game press conference. So when it comes to that, if he doesn't say it, then I believe A-Rod's healthy. And he's only played 70 or 35 games. He has seven home runs in 133 at-bats, which is pretty nice uh, for a 40-year-old DH and you know a guy who also missed time with a hamstring injury. But here's what I don't get. If, if A-Rod's your guy, why is he not playing Sunday? The Yankees, yes, they had 40 games in 41 days with one off day in the middle of two 20-game stretches. But A-Rod missed a lot of that time when he was hurt. So now you don't play. You have a day off on Monday. You play two games. You have a day off on Thursday. You play th- uh, three games, and then you have a day off on Monday. So in the next week, they have three days off, and A Rod sitting at in a home game, and then in the um, seventh inning, the Yankees have bases. Or no, uh, was it the seventh? I, I forget. But they had the tying run at the plate in Didi Gregorius, and they let Didi face Justin Wilson, a perfect spot to bring A Rod in. And they don't bring him in. Didi flies out to center. And that was really the Yankees' only chance to get back in the game outside of when Beltran flew out with the bases loaded. So um, I don't know. Maybe there's something with A-Rod. If we don't see him in the lineup, to, actually, he won't be in the lineup because they're going to Colorado. So they actually, they're playing interleague. It makes even less sense that he can play on Sunday. <laughs> I love how it just came to it. Because I was going to tell you this is a classic Joe Girardi opportunity. I'm going to give you his answer. This was a great opportunity for me to get Alex two days off in a row. Like this was, that was the answer was going to be. Yeah, but then you're but it's like, not even two. it's four because you right. can't play in Colorado. You're right. You're absolutely that, right. I forgot that, about that. We're going to the National League. No doubt. That just clicked in my head. I'm even more mad. Like I am furious and <laughs> I am very anti-Girardi, and, you know, at times, when he deserves the credit, I give it to him, but that's a bad decision to not pinch him, not play him, not pinch hit him, and now he's just going to be a pinch hitter in Colorado for two years. It's just, that's, hor- that's horrible. That's oh, bad, I man. Love it. I'm so glad you just figured that out. That makes me that's- so happy to make your – the fact that you're so mad makes me happy. I, I, love, the, I love it. Yeah, because what are you doing? Like, Didi, yeah. That's, yeah, bad. that's a bad call. You're right. I, I, if I had realized at that moment as well – I'd be balking my face off, no doubt. And Didi, and they showed Didi stats. Oh, he hit 320 against lefties. It's like I don't care. He has 26 home runs in 1,517 career plate appearances. Yeah, we need to think about that. There's a minuscule chance he hits a bomb there to tie the game, and that's what they needed. And you have a guy on the bench who, that's what he does is hit home runs against left-handed pitching, and he doesn't come in the game. And then with two outs in the ninth and no one on, he pinch hits Brian McCann for Rob Refschneider. It's like if you're gonna play the kid, let the kid freaking hit. You know, we're not starting a, a three-run rally against K-Rod with two outs and no one on. It's just, you know, McCann strikes out anyway and then complains about the strikeout. But uh, Girardi, uh, he's just such a frustrating guy. He's a bad manager. He's not. He's just not good. <laughs> All right, so we're going to talk about – I'm going to lump the Thursday and Friday games together because, to me, these two games are, are, are kind of a tale of two pitchers who have really saved the season so far. When you have a, a guy like <laughs> Ivan Nova and then uh, on Thursday night – 
who who put another very good you know a good start out there and then CC Sabathia, CC Sabathia on Friday who was just phenomenal lights out you know we win both of these games five in a row but I mean how important when you when you have the when you have uh, you know guys going down you have you have obviously Severino who hasn't lived up to the expectations what we thought he was going to be this year Nova coming in fighting for that fifth spot at the beginning of the year going to the bullpen you know having moderate success some some terrible some bad outings as well but then coming in sliding in has been really good you know he had one bad outing but he's been really good for the for if you look at the bulk of it um, as a starting pitcher and then Sabathia is a guy that I, I don't think anybody expected to see what what he has done this year I mean every single game we're in he he deserves to have at least two more wins two two to three more wins on his belt for this year but pitches another great game against a very difficult lineup in in uh, in Detroit. So last year I wrote a story CC Sabathia is done was the headline and. It had been three years where he just wasn't going to accept the fact that he couldn't throw hard anymore. He still tried to rear back and throw fastballs by people, and they would just get launched. He would blow every lead given to him. Um, and then, you know, the, he gets injured, and he gets a knee brace, and then he uh, misses the end of last season for a personal problem. And then the offseason, he says, you know, this is the be- best I've felt in, you know, X number of years. So I wrote another story. He said, CC Sabathia is still done based on the fact that I didn't need him to tell me he's healthy because – it doesn't matter. He just hasn't adapted. And all along, we've heard about how his best friend was Cliff Lee, or maybe still is. He's a teammate of Andy Pettit's from 09 through 2013. So he was with Andy Pettit for, you know, four seasons there besides the year Pettit left. And uh, I just feel like if he had those two guys around him, two guys who could, who had success in this league, never really throwing hard, you know, Cliff Lee never really threw fast. He'd always be at, you know, around 90. Pettit lost his velocity a long time ago and was still successful. And CC couldn't learn from them. Who's he ever going to learn from? But, you know, the fact that he has adapted to that, he has changed the way he is. He's more, you know, he's changed his speed, changed his location. He's not so worried about his fastball anymore. You know, it's scary because if CC can pitch like this and now that he has his knee brace, which doesn't, uh, you know, he falls forward now, he's not falling off to the third base side to favor his knee anymore. Uh, he, you know, it might not be such a bad idea that he's, he has that $25 million option next year because right now he's the Yankees' best pitcher, and he's pitching like the ace that we saw from 2009 to 2012. So I was wrong about him, but I wasn't that wrong because I never – you know, I said he could do it if he could adapt. I didn't, But then he proved that he didn't want to. But now that he has, I mean, he could do this for a long, long time. I mean, left-handed pitchers, you know, they could stick around till their 40s, and, and he's got a way to go before he's 40. Yeah, and and maybe these maybe these off off the field issues you know played a lot more into it than we even realized. And and obviously he went uh, got himself got himself right got you know took care of himself you know made sure that he got um, put into that rehab and and you know hopefully his, you know everything in his personal life is a lot better. It seems to be that he's you know that that did well for him because he's got a lot of focus. Um, the brace like you were talking about how they started last year has uh, you know Girardi. Girardi really actually puts a lot on that brace because he got used to it next last year, and now this year he kind of you know he was already he had already pitched with this brace was ready for it and um, and knew how knew how to pitch to it. Um, we had an interview actually with Andy Pettit earlier this year. Danielle McCartan is one of our writers, and asked Pettit about you know talking with CC and and they definitely were were talking quite a bit in the off season and uh, you know specifically about this you know the lack of velocity like this happens when you get older obviously the velocity goes down but you got to be able to pitch. And it seems like CC Sabathia has, you know, really 
really learned how to use the entire plate. And you know, we see we see starts that he's not you know topping 86 miles an hour, and nobody could touch him. So this, like you said, this this could last a long time because I'm pretty sure he could throw 86 miles an hour for a while. Yeah, and I think it's it's awesome to see. I mean, it's fun to watch guys like that pitch. It, you know, yeah. it's always fun to watch someone go out there and throw 100 and blow it by people. But, you know, whether it's him, whether it's Pettit for as long as he did it, uh, you know, when it was uh, when it was El Duque, when he was, you know, throwing my, up. That's my favorite dude, man. El Duque is my guy. Yeah. Yeah, those, I mean, those are guys who it's fun to watch them pitch. It was fun to watch Cologne when he came back. It was fun to watch Freddie Garcia, you know, be, you know, not be the guy he was growing up on the Mariners throwing, you know, 98, but being the guy in the Yankees throwing 87. And those are, you know, those starts are fun to watch. And if CC can keep on, you know, putting that cutter on the hands of righties and uh, using his, you know, slider against lefties. I mean, he could do this for a long time. And he is, you know, I trust him right now uh, among all the Yankee starters. And I know Tanaka is the ace and still is. But uh, right now, if, if the Yankees are in a one-game playoff, I would trust Sabathia, which is insane to say because I haven't trusted him in four years. But I would trust him right now over any other guy in the Yankees in the rotation. So we're going into to the weekend, into Saturday, Sunday games. Uh, Detroit, we take the first one. Uh, that's five games in a row. We're we're looking at you know some some good starting pitching. I think the one guy we've talked about, you know, we've definitely talked about him over each game, but I think we should spend a little bit more time on him. Is is Carlos Beltran? Carlos Beltran has been one of the best hitters in baseball uh, over the past two weeks. I, I think this guy has. I mean, he's been he's been crushing the ball. I I, I think a lot of people last year. You know, he had the elbow injury. He's had he's had knee issues. I think they thought he was he was done. He was over the hump. Honestly, looking at this guy right now, you know, whether he's playing right field or he's DHing when Arod was out, he's raking. He looks locked in. He looks like he's moving well. You know, I'm very happy to see him doing this because, in all honesty, a guy like this, this is a guy that's that's the perfect DH, right? Like this is the perfect designated hitter that you would want. Granted, we have him playing right field right now, but you know, a, a veteran guy aging but still raking. And I mean, I don't think anybody expected him to hit this well. Yeah, I mean, he is the perfect DH for the Yankees right now. And you go back to last year, you know, he was so bad in April. It looked like he was finally finished. Uh, but starting with May, you know, beginning of May last year through right now, basically a full season of work. Uh, he's had, I think, 36 home runs, which would go over the course of a full season, which would be his best total in a few years and almost equaling that total he had his career high in his second season with the Mets when he had 41. So, you know, Beltran, he's been great. And this this little run he's been on started when he became the DH when A-Rod went down. Um, they put him back in right field when A-Rod came back, and he's a horrible right fielder. I mean, he costs the Yankees hits and runs every single game. His defense is terrible, uh, but he, he has to be in the lineup and because A-Rod can't play the field, which I wish he would play third, and then we'd get rid of Headley. But, um, you know, he, he has to play. He has to play right field. He has to do it. So uh, it, it, it would almost be nice if A-Rod's contract ended this year. You know, you could keep Beltran around as the DH going forward because you're losing to Shira, so you don't really – have someone that needs to play that role, an aging player on the team. Um, but yeah, he's been great. Uh, he's really been, you know, the only offensive player that's been consistent the entire season. And if you, you know, I don't know where they'd be without him right now. It'd be pretty scary. They'd probably be like somewhere where the twins are right now. Do you, do you see, uh, this is a conspiracy theory, but do you see them going all in on Aaron judge next year for right field? Or is this an opportunity to, to potentially sign Beltron for another year, possibly two years, and and have him uh, platoon with A Rod right field with Judge, and and then have him as a full time DH going in 2018. I think they're going to go all in on Judge because they're so adamant about getting away from old players and big deals. And Beltron, I mean, some team 
you know, somebody who needs a DH will give him, you know, a lot of, I mean, he's making 15 million right now. Somebody will easily give that him again because he's having such a good year in the American league. And he got that deal coming off his time with the Cardinals. So um, it'd almost be better if A-Rod was done this year. We could keep Beltran around for next year. He'd be the right. DH. And then you have Judge and, you know, Hicks could still be the fourth guy. And then if something ever happened where Judge, you know, wasn't good, which is a very strong possibility, then Beltran could be the right fielder again or, or fill in when he needed. So the Yankees are just in a bad spot. They have two DHs and only one spot for a DH. Um, you know, this team would be so much better if Beltran was the everyday DH. And then you have, totally you know, Ref Schneider and Hicks being, you know, they could both be the third and fourth outfielder together. This team would be so much better because the defense would be better, even though Aaron Hicks has no clue what he's doing out there. Um, you know, it just sucks. That, you know, they're in a bad spot, and they put themselves in this spot, and they should have seen it coming when they did it. But, um, you know, they signed Beltran when he was, what, 37 to a three-year deal. So um, you had to see this coming down the road at some point. You know, when the guy's going to be 40, he can't be playing right field with as many knee problems as he had in recent years. So the next two nights, uh, I think what basically we obviously we lost the next two nights, one five in a row, lose two against Detroit Saturday Sunday, and what happened to us? Ian Kinsler happened to us. Tanaka leaves a pitch up, uh, you know he, he gets uh, Kinsler hits a three run shot left field, stands game over on Saturday night was was not good. Verlander pitched well, I, you know I think Verlander is is uh, is back to a closer form of what he was. I don't think he's the guy that, that you know we all knew as a Cy Young, as a rookie of the year. I don't, I don't think he's that guy, but I think he's, he's learning to pitch uh, better for, for what he is. It's funny, I actually went to school with Verlander at uh, Old Dominion, um, so it's, it's frustrating to watch him out there. <laughs> and when, when I used to like, go to his you know, next door, they lived literally next door to me. This dude's taking beer bongs. But um, now he's, getting, he's engaged to Kate Upton and, and, uh, and throwing and winning against the Yankees. So the, the, the last two games were, were a bit frustrating. Um, and I know, you know, Andrew, every, every, time, every week we talk about Tanaka, Andrew's big take on Tanaka is that he's not really an ace. He's our number one uh, because, you know, he's, he's the number one almost by default because he's that guy that they brought in. And, I, I, you know, I tend to agree with him, the fact that he's not a prototypical ace. He's not your big horse guy. He's not your, you know, your, your like Jose Fernandez, uh, you know, big guy that you would think of like Roger Clemens type, where where a guy can, uh, you can lean on this guy for you know nine innings, uh, you know every single outing. Tanaka's a guy who's gonna nibble, uh, keep you in the game, but you know this year we've seen a lot more home runs from him. In the past, we've seen a lot, most of these home runs be solo shots, three run home run to Kinsler, dagger for the team, could not score runs either night. Yeah, no, I agree on that on that take with Tanaka and I think we saw that in the one game playoff because the Astros won with their ace the guy who's a true ace who's having a horrible season now in Dallas Keuchel and he shut the Yankees down and Tanaka couldn't and like you just said the solo home runs that bit him you know it's bitten him all year it bit him in the one game playoff and Sabathia was that guy from 2009 to 2012 who you could trust to go out there and either stop a losing streak or get the team a win when they needed it he did it in the playoffs uh, you know time and time again for them uh, but they don't have an ace because Tanaka I don't trust him you know in a big spot I trust him to go out there and give me like you know six or seven innings and three runs but that's right. not what an ace does an ace goes out there and just you know matches zero for zero over and over again Sabathia has sort of become the ace again in a much oh my different gosh. Form. what world is like bizarro world yeah it is it is weird because you know, he's lost his velocity. He's a guy who he's not been in the past. Felix Hernandez is sort of like that now. Justin Verlander, you know, they made such a big deal on Saturday Night at Fox about his diminished velocity, but he was still, you know, he hit 96 when he needed it to. So, you know, maybe he can't hit 100 anymore, but if you need to hit 96 and you can, I'd say you're 
your velocity is doing well. But with Verlander, it's weird because he's never had one in New Yankee Stadium before uh, Saturday night. And I think they said he made one regular season start in old Yankee Stadium and lost that as well. So, you know, the Yankees have never had a problem with him. Even in the postseason, they were always able to chase him and get to the bullpen. And whether or not they'd actually win the game when they got to the Tigers' bullpen was a different story. But they never really had a problem with him outside of game three in the 2012 ALCS, which they lost in Detroit. And that's really when my problem with Verlander started because after that game, he sort of, you know, talked about himself so cocky uh, in such a cocky way. Uh, you know, basically, I remember Nunez had a big hit off him in the ninth. It might have even been a solo home run, but basically saying that he couldn't believe that Eduardo Nunez could get a hit off of him like that because he's Justin Verlander. Um, so ever since then, I really disliked him strongly. Um, so it sucked that they couldn't find a way to beat him. But I knew they weren't going to win that game. You could just tell right away they couldn't get anything going offensively. Uh, Headley hit the home run that was called a triple, and Ref Schneider got the RBI single when the inf- infield was pulled in. But the Yankees, they're, they can't beat quality front-end starters, and I think that's really the biggest reason why I, I'm scared about this summer and why this team is going to end up being sellers is because they can beat up on, on crap pitchers like the Angels have, but you give them, you know, they can't beat Chris Sale. They, you know, you're not supposed to beat those guys, but they can't even beat them once in a while. Verlander they lose to, Michael Fulmer they lose to. Luckily, they're going to see the Rockies and Twins who have no starting pitching at all, but good teams, you know, when they were good, they'd find a way to, to get to Roy Halladay and beat him. Uh, they never really had success against Hernandez, but, you know, Josh Beckett, they'd find a way to get to and beat him. There, there was these guys, and now, you know, you put an ace out there against the Yankees, and, and it, God forbid if he's left-handed, they have no shot. But they just can't beat front-end starters. And uh, it was good that they got those five wins in a row because when I saw Verlander and Fulmer for Saturday and Sunday, I knew they'd have problems. And, and sure enough, they scored two runs in 18 innings. And, you know, one of the big things that makes a good team uh, not great, but but just stay good, is they do the little things well against good pitching. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest faults for this team is that we see constantly we see we see guys like I, I was I was killing Chase Headley last last week for uh, you know a two zero count uh, with with a pitching a pitching coach comes out obviously grooving a fastball he's just sitting there looking at a fastball down the gut a guy like Chase Headley needs to be pouncing on a ball like that we see constant base running errors we're seeing you know just stupid base uh, fielding errors we we see the we see the things that good teams don't do right the the, the royals the the guys who take advantage of uh, you know maybe they're not the best talent but they take advantage of their opportunities and this is a team that seems like uh, you know just doesn't do that when it when it when it comes Thankfully, this is the third. We talked about it earlier. Pineda had a, a good, another good outing. Six innings, two two earned runs, eight strikeouts. Another good outing. So hopefully, Pineda is is on the cusp of of becoming that guy that you know we all thought he was. We we thought he was going to be the you know a front end starter when we got him in that trade for uh, for uh, for Jesus Montero, but. You know, so I guess before we get out of here, I, I'm interested to hear your take. You know, we talked about what's coming up in the in the next uh, in the next stretch. You, you really harped on it, saying it's a make or break, and I agree with you. You know, we have the we have the we're going to Coors Field for the Colorado Rockies, and then we play the Twins. These are these are games that that obviously we're favored in. We should win a lot of these games, um, and and we should we should really carry this momentum uh, from from this past week into into that series, but. You know, I this is this is where this is where I need to, to, to get your take on this. I mean, do do you see this team as as in the skies when they're winning, or or do you see them as 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 a team that can actually take this into a, a playoff position? 
I think in in the current playoff format where the two wild cards, they're going to be they're not going to sell. I don't think the Yankees they don't want to sell because they know that you know with the Mets not not really being as good as they were in the fall last year, but with them sort of being up and coming and them having no problem selling tickets and stuff, the Yankees front office cares about the dollar. They're not their dad. You know, the Steinbrenners aren't their dad. They don't care about winning as much. They care about profits. They care about the team being a business. And if the team is, doesn't have star power, they don't, they're not winning. They don't have names that people are going to see, then they're going to lose money. And I think that that's the number one reason why they're not going to be sellers. And even if they do sell, I see them selling off like Beltran or trying to get to share gone. Maybe something big happens with like McCann or, you know, maybe the Cubs really want Evaldi that bad, but they're not going to do anything where they, you know, sell important pieces that they believe will help them in, in 2017 and 2018. But going forward, I mean, I said this is the biggest 11 game stretch in 25 years, 24 years. And I, I really think it is true because, you know, after the strike in 94, the team didn't miss the playoffs again until 2008, but they were still competitive. They didn't get eliminated to the last week of the season. Um, in 2013 and 14, the Yankees were horrible. And, but with the new format, both seasons, they stayed in it till game 159. They were eliminated. So you barely, you really have to be horrible, like bad, like twins bad to be out of it. And really every team, I think even the A's who have been really bad now, I think they're like seven or eight games out of a wild card spot, which isn't even that insane. Uh, so the second wild card has certainly helped the Yankees. I was very much against it when it was implemented because I figured at some point it would screw the Yankees. But really, since it's been implemented outside of 2012 when they won the division, the second wild card has been the only reason that's kept them relevant to the final weeks of the season. So I think this team's going to be in it because you just have to be around 500 at the deadline to believe that you have a chance and they'll be around that. So I don't think they'll be sellers. But this 11-game stretch here, I mean, this is it. If you can't go and beat up on the Rockies and the Twins, while the other teams in your division who you're tracing are playing each other, then you don't belong to have, you don't, you know, you don't belong in the talk. You don't have a reason to have a good season. And after those 11 games, they have Texas for four games, who I think is the best team in the American league. Then they go to San Diego. Then they finish the first half on a huge road trip, 10 games at San Diego, at Chicago, uh, the White Sox and four at the Indians. Um, and then they come back after the break with Red Sox Orioles right away. So this is tough. This is the time for them to get fat, to pad their win column. If they can't do it now, they're never going to do it because the schedule after this for the next month is horrible and, and it will just ruin the whole summer. So does part of you want to see them, uh, you know, <laughs> not do as well and become sellers? Or do you want to see this team blimp into a potential second wild card spot, get eliminated, then then have, you know, the same the same pieces? Because part of me, in all honesty, wants the the front on it, the the front office to realize what this team is. I have guys on on Twitter calling this team half pregnant, and it's it's kind of a a, a perfect analogy. Like you either are or you aren't. Like let, let's let's know what this team is, right? This team to me is not a, a team that's gonna that's gonna go deep into the playoffs. This is not a team that's built for that. To me, this is a team where, at this point at the trade deadline, we have a great opportunity, a tremendous opportunity to sell off some assets that to me will not be as effective in the next year, possibly two years, that, that will you know make this team win uh, deep into the, into the playoffs, but we can actually get younger and make our team better for the future. And so you want them, so you want them to sell? Uh, part, yes, I do. I, I think I don't think this team is ready to go. I, I, I really don't. I, I think I my my fear. My fear is that they are going to be fool's gold up until the trade deadline, show that they can be something. And then and then 
the the obvious come and us not do well and and then we're stuck with assets that we could have gotten things for that's that's my fear and i think this is a team finally finally this is a team where i think the fans are actually looking to the future i think the fans are actually looking forward to this farm system and finally for the first time since probably 96 have some hope with some of these guys at least we have some fanfare with these guys and if we can add to that and and just get some belief going um, I, I think that that's a big deal, and I, I think this is an opportunity for us to strike, get younger, and, and better for the future. So, it's never happened in my lifetime. And uh, no, I am I am on the other side of this. I do not want them to sell, and yeah. I think that they're not going to sell. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't it. think they are either. I agree. But I, mean, I don't I don't want them to because you said is this team capable of winning in the playoffs? And I saw someone say the other day, you know, this is this Yankees team could they win the World Series this year and next year? And if the answer is no, then they should be sellers. But I don't know that they can't win the World Series because I saw the 2013 Red Sox who on paper are probably just as good, if not worse, than this Yankees team. And they had a season sandwiched between three last place finishes and they won the World Series. And the Giants uh, two years ago, were they better? No, they had, they had Madison Bumgarner went on a crazy run and they won and they got timely hits. So, you know, you look at the Royals last year. That, last year, the Yankees were a one-and-done team in the playoffs. They swept the Royals, I remember, in the middle of the summer last year when the Royals were the best team in baseball by far. So I don't know that they can't win the World Series. You get in these playoffs now, even in the wildcard game, you win that, and now you're in the ALDS. You have momentum. I mean, anything can happen. It's, it's, we've seen how to, how much of a total crapshoot this the playoffs is in baseball. And granted, the Yankees won four out of five years at the end of the 90s and early 2000s. But how many years did they have, you know, 102 wins? Or in 2002, they should have won. In 2000 they should have won 2006 they definitely should have won and they didn't and other you know teams i mean that cardinals team that won in 2006 was horrible so if you just get in the playoffs anything can happen and i think this team is definitely capable of getting in the playoffs you know i still think they can make a run at the division because baltimore and boston have no pitching if they sort of fix that issue and they go out and get someone huge like you know whether sunny gray turns around and gets traded or god forbid jose fernandez ever ends up in boston or baltimore you know you know maybe that's a different story but as a division currently constructed the yankees can definitely get back in it in the division they're in it in the wild card i mean the yankees have been bad for th for two plus months and they're three games out in the wild card so i don't think this team's gonna sell i don't think they need to and when you look at it unless like i said earlier unless you're getting major league ready players I don't want to see pieces like Andrew Miller get sold off for prospects that might never make it because we've had enough of those as it is. We've had enough of those over the years. So unless, you know, you're getting, you know, some huge guy back or, you know, like you mentioned earlier, Javier Baez or maybe Joey Gallo from Texas or, you know, the Mets want to give you a starter for, you know, either McCann or a bullpen piece, that's fine. I don't care. But uh, I want to protect Batanzas. I want to protect Miller. I guess anyone else. Chapman's because, on the block for you, though. Chapman's, Chapman, Chapman's Chapman, guy I definitely I don't go. even like, really like Chapman as is because yeah. the guy just gets out there and throws as hard as he can. He doesn't even right. know where it's going. He doesn't have any location. We've seen him get burned a few times already. He blew that horrible game in Baltimore last week. So, you know, but Chapman needs to go. He needs to go. And if they want to resign him in the offseason, they can go ahead and do that. But really, the pieces that are going to be free agents, I don't know how much you'd get for them anyway. Really, the one guy is Miller, who's like their biggest prize possession and maybe Evaldi if an NL team wants him. So, to me, they don't need to sell. I mean, start working the kids in, you know, give them September call-ups or whatever. But I don't – I just – I think this team, you know, they're not – they haven't been very good. But really outside of their 9-17 and 17 start, um, you know, since then they're like, uh, uh, you know, what, 22-15, and 15, which you would, you know, have them right there with Boston and Baltimore. So if they can keep playing the way they have 
for the last 30 games. There's no reason. I think everyone will be singing a different tune. I don't think people will be sellers. But um, I, I'm not really worried about it because I just don't think the front office will ever will ever agree to do that. You know, it's funny because as much as I as I want things to to, to progress to the future, I totally agree with the fact that I don't think it's going to happen. So uh, I think it's a moot point. I think they're they're going to um, you know put the best team that they can on uh, you know for this season, and uh, possibly I think Chapman's the guy that they they could potentially get rid of. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of I don't think, I, like realistically, I don't think it's going to happen. It's just me 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 talking and thinking and hoping that certain things happen because I I just I don't know. I see the makeup of this team and I don't I don't believe in it. Yeah, and I think you can. I mean, to me, you can get rid of Chapman and you, you know, and still contend because they contended oh, last easily. year with Panthers and Miller. Yeah. And if the Giants and the Nationals and the Cubs want to get into a, you know a huge trading war for Chapman at the deadline, because all three of those teams have a chance to win the World Series and all three of them desperately need bullpen help. Uh, so you know, if you you can, they could easily get rid of Chapman and, and still move forward and and be in contention this season with Batances and Miller just like they were last season. So I have no problem with that. I have no problem with trading Chapman. Um, you, you know, he hasn't, he's been good. He hasn't been as good as I thought he'd be. And uh, you, when you get a chance to watch the guy every day, you're not just, you know, flipping around the MLB package and catching the end of Reds games. Uh, you know, I'm not a big fan of him just going out there and throwing 102 down the middle and hoping that the guy swings and misses because like Nathan Navaldi's proved, you can throw as hard as you want and people are going to hit it. All right, I'm going to let you leave on this Nathan Navaldi jab. So, <laughs> Neil, thanks so much for, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you again on Twitter and uh, website? Yeah, on Twitter, it's at Neil Keith and uh, KeepToTheCity.com and the uh, Keep to the City podcast, uh, which you can also hear on iTunes. And you can hear uh, Scott and Andrew on there as well as they have, have been guests in the past and will be guests in the future. All right, so thanks, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next week. Andrew should be back from Italy gallivanting around Europe and, uh, and bougie-bougie in it all, all over the place. So we'll, t- we'll talk to you guys next week. Hey, guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show... We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.